Travel the world in search of stunning birds, breathtaking scenery, and fun camaraderie with the American Birding Association. Whether you're a seasoned birder or a novice, the ABA Travel Program promises top-notch birding, local expertise, cultural immersion, and a vibrant community of fellow birding enthusiasts. Don't miss your chance to travel to Belize with the ABA in March or to Hawaii in April and help us build a better future for birds, birders, and birding at the same time. Visit aba.org travel for more information and bookings. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. There are, depending on your preferred taxonomy, approximately 11,000 extant species of bird on the planet. And for many birders, seeing even 10% of that total in one's lifetime is a formidable and certainly proud accomplishment. But birder Peter Kaisner has done the seemingly impossible this week, becoming the first birder on the earth to cross the lifetime 10,000 species scene mark when he saw and photographed an orange tufted spider hunter in the southern Philippines. Kaisner, a retired U.S. diplomat who took advantage of his professional assignments to bird around the world in places like Afghanistan, India, Egypt, Brazil, New Guinea, and elsewhere, wrote about his quest in a recent issue of Birding Magazine. It's posted online. I'll link to it in the show notes. In it, he talked about how he planned for number 10,000 to be Tufted Puffin, a bird that he had kind of inexplicably not seen yet among friends and family later this year. But a new challenger's recent announcement caused him to push up the plans and head to Asia to reach the milestone. That challenger, Jason Mann, has since recounted his claim of 10,000, leaving Kaysner alone at the top of the mountain. The whole thing has been a little bit odd, actually, with Mann's list containing some species that have raised eyebrows. But it all seems resolved now, and Peter's well-documented and certainly well-known claim seems as ironclad as one can be when you're talking about 10,000 birds seen over the course of many decades of one's life. So we offer a well-earned congratulations to Peter Kaysner for this impressive undertaking, and I hope he can get that tufted puffin for 10,001, which is a palindromic number and therefore way more impressive anyway. On the show this week, let's look back on what was an absolutely incredible year for rare birds in the ABA area. I'm excited to welcome back Amy Davis and Tim Healy for the 2023 ABA Rare Bird Draft, all after this week's Rare Birds. <laughs> This is your Rare Bird Focus for the beginning of February 2024. One first record to discuss this week from Virginia, where a gray-crowned rosy finch in Amherst County in the Appalachians would be a first record for that state. Gray-crowned rosy finch is the most widespread of the three rosy finches in North America and the one with the most extensive pattern of vagrancy. There are many records of this species from the Great Lakes to the Northeast as far as Nova Scotia, but accepted accounts in the Southeast are nearly absent. The only accepted record prior to this bird in Virginia was from 2012 at Mount Magazine in Western Arkansas. It's probably notable that this montane interior west species sought high elevations magazine is Arkansas's highest point, and Mount Pleasant, Virginia, where this bird was discovered, is itself over 4,000 feet. That's all I've got for you this week, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash rba. You can also follow along with a new year of rare birds in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and on ABA Community. 2023 was an exceptional year. For ABA rarities, if you listen to this podcast, you've heard many of them in the rare bird focus section of the program. I have been keeping track of rarities in the ABA for geez, more than a decade back on the ABA blog, now on the ABA podcast and, and the website. And honestly, I cannot remember a more extraordinary year in terms of quality, quantity of shocking and spectacular rare birds in the US and Canada. And as we do every year, I am excited to welcome back some friends to go through our favorites with the caveat that what that means to any individual person is certainly a different thing. That's what makes it fun, which is why I'm thrilled to bring back North American Birds editor, Amy Davis, and educator and writer at the Nemesis Bird, Tim Healy. Hello, Amy. Hello, Tim. So glad to be back. What a year. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely. It's great to have you here to talk rare birds. I know it's something we look forward to. Before we get started, I have a couple things 
to mention. First, this segment was created in part as a vehicle to get our mutual friend Tom Johnson on the podcast. Tom's passing last summer cast a huge shadow on the entire birding community in North America and beyond, and I, I still think about him frequently. I uh, wonder what he'd think about this or that bird phenomenon. Uh, and if we were to dedicate any episode to Tom, I feel like this would be the one. So for Tom, and uh, perhaps it's all the more appropriate that the bird that we all, Amy, Tom, and I put as our top bird the first time we did this format was Stellar Sea Eagle, which is still <laughs> in Newfoundland two years later. I hope no one put it on their list for this year, but they could have. You'd be justified <laughs> to do so. Still out there being awesome. <laughs> still out there and maybe out there for the foreseeable future. Who knows when that's gonna dry, that one's going to dry up. Yeah. Hey, but we got a lot of other awesome birds this year. Oh, <laughs> no go doubt. Through. And long staying stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second, uh, I feel like I'm talking a lot at the top of the episode, but we got some stuff to get through. Uh, we are changing the format for this episode. In the past, we've just come with a best of list, which has been great. Uh, but this time, in an effort to get something resembling a top 10, we're going to do a rare bird draft, a 2023 rare bird draft. So I gave myself the top seed uh, as the host. So I go last and I flipped a coin for Tim and Amy and we will just go around and around until we get to 10. Does that sound good to everybody? Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. We flipped a coin before we went on the air. Amy, you have the top pick before we get Ooh. going. Like, what is there <laughs> to say about this about this year? It's been extraordinary it's like the the rare birds have come thick and fast it's been Just unreal phenomenal start to yeah. stop came out of the gate intense yeah. you know from the yeah. beginning of january 2023 and never really let up in terms of surprises and just phenomena happening you know well distributed across the continent too like really really interesting year a lot of cool birds for people to go look at that's absolutely true yeah, I started my list with 46. 46 wow. species. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have an exact count, but I, as usual, had a very deep bench. You got plenty bench. to choose from. A deep bench for your draft. Uh, you should oh, have yeah. no trouble filling it if someone picks the picks the, the pick you were looking to play, uh, you know, power forward for the for the next uh, few years. I always end up every year privileging bird phenomena over yep. individual rarities. I hear that. So. I did pick a few individual birds, but I like it when there's a lot. It's a big event. Um, I like the rarity event also in terms of the community aspect mm-hmm. of it all. Like, was this a bird that we only got to experience vicariously? You know, we heard about it after the fact or got to see the pictures on social media and we were just like really jealous. Or was this something that a lot of people got to see? Mm-hmm. And, you know, was this bird an emissary for birding and conservation? Um, you know, how did it impact the local community as well as yeah, diehard chasers? Mm-hmm. Let's get going. Amy, let's start off with you with the first pick of the 2023 APA Rare Bird Draft. What is what is your choice? My top draft pick is going to be American Flamingo. What else could Hard it be? Hard to beat American <laughs> Flamingo. Tim. Shocker. What was the final count on uh, states and provinces that were represented by this American Flamingo phenomenon? In 2023, American Flamingos showed up in no less than 18 different 18. states. And that was Florida, Ohio, South Carolina, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, Texas, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Louisiana, Wisconsin, Missouri, Kansas, Maryland, Michigan, and Mississippi. In that order? Was that incredible order? Or that was the that was the order, order of occurrence. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Nothing like we've ever seen before. I cannot remember a rare bird phenomenon that got as much attention outside the birding community as this one. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you see the stellar sea eagle. You've already mentioned that. That mm-hmm. was one. Maybe great black hawk in Maine. But this yeah. American flamingo yeah. thing, there's something about flamingos. Everyone loves flamingos. Everyone <laughs> understands intuitively that a flamingo is not supposed to be in a farm pond in Ohio and gets why people <laughs> would want to come and see that. I don't know about you, but I, I talked to media all over the world about this uh, phenomenon. It was so cool and so long lasting. It was a spectacle. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like you said, flamingos, I think in general, are one of the most recognized and, you know, kind of admired groups of birds in the world. They're kind of one of those stock wildlife yeah. options. They're simultaneously emblematic of idyllic tropical lagoons. And then they're also these hardened survivors that live in extreme environments where nothing else yeah. can really hack it. They're just 
awesomely incongruous animals and getting to see them in far-flung places, as I think all of us yeah, did. We all saw all it. Did you see us. it? Where did you see your flamingos, Oh yeah, Amy? I went to see the two that were on a farm ponds in uh, Franklin County, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and I can't think of another bird that was more out of context <laughs> and more absurd and incongruous than those bizarre. two. And, you know, there was definitely some heartbreak with that mm-hmm. one and the one in Alabama, mm-hmm. because um, if... As you guys, I'm sure, remember, one of those birds was uh, attacked by a snapping turtle and uh, despite being taken to rehab, did not make it. So there was the drama, but it was such an amazing experience. You know, like you said, such crowd pleasers. And I feel like they really showcase the best of birding culture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because when I was there, there were so many people. There were parents holding up their little kids to like look through our scope at the pretty pink birds. And um, you really hope that makes a big impression on those kids and gets, you know, gets them interested in nature and conservation. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. Tim, where did you see your flamingos? I went to go see those very same birds. I made the drive out from New York wearing a pink shirt and got to spend the morning admiring Caribbean water birds at a farm pond in Pennsylvania, which is in my chasing career, one of the strangest (laughs) things that has ever happened. (laughs) And It's just incredible, you know, and I think the interesting thing about this, like you said, is the breadth and how sustained this push was. So, you know, these birds showed up in the wake of Hurricane Idalia, Mm -hmm. which just seems like it was perfectly placed to displace these birds across the Caribbean. Perfect time of year, perfect location. To grab a bunch of flamingos and scatter them all over the place. Yeah. As much as these birds often landed in places where they're not necessarily best suited. Um, It seems that at least a number of them were able to kind of successfully right themselves and start making their way back South. I believe the Ohio bird was presumed to be the same individual seen in Missouri and Kansas. There was, Mm -hmm. I saw some analysis of those photos. Um, You know, the, the surviving Pennsylvania bird took off and headed south as far as i understand it so here in north carolina the birds that i saw that stuck around on the outer banks Mm -hmm. for a couple months um it started as a flock of nine or 12 and then it grew Mm -hmm. to at least right uh 16 so it stands to reason that perhaps some of the birds that got scattered across the interior of the continent did eventually make their way and found this flock in north carolina and kind of put in with coast and then yeah and they stayed mm -hmm. for a very long time until the weather really started turning I think it was early December and then they kind of disappeared and partly because people stopped looking for them because everyone who wanted to see them had <laughs> had gone out and seen this flock of birds and it just one day they were gone. I remember when I went and saw them, there was a large group that was hanging out in one of the inlets, belly deep in some of the water. Actually, they would go out and they would swim like ducks out on some of the <laughs> deep water. Uh, and there was a small group of three that were hanging out on one of the uh, impoundments at Pea Island National Wildlife Refuge on the Outer awesome. Banks. And that was, those are the birds that I saw. I was going to go find the larger flock, but someone called in a state first elegant turn, which was like literally 10 miles up the <laughs> road right. from me, or two miles up the road from me. And I went and chased it. Didn't get to see it. Long story. Uh, but uh, I did see the flamingos, the three flamingos, and they took off while I was watching them, flew out across the dunes. I regret not bringing my camera up to the top of the dune where I was standing because they would have just flown right right past me. I would have got some beautiful oh, photos. Wow. Of, uh, would, would be. And they took off over the ocean. And <laughs> I don't know that that, group, that trio was ever seen again. Uh, the flock uh, on the other bank stuck around for a little bit longer before eventually disappearing, uh, going wherever flamingos go, somewhere south. I mean, yeah. these birds are clearly capable of moving. Yeah. You know, they, they moved the distance to get to these places. And um, it definitely seems that pretty good numbers piled up in Florida over the winter as the weather turned. Yeah. I, I saw some re- recent reports from, you know, Florida Bay, I think, of several dozen birds all in one place. So. Um, you know, I know we always enjoy a happy ending and sometimes you have to leave it up to speculation, but it seems that at least some of these birds that got scattered were able to make their way back to more agreeable climbs. Agreed. Fantastic story. Great first pick. I'm glad we talked about that one right off the top. Another, another unanimous Unanimous number one, I think. I think think we've had a unanimous number one every year. This is close. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it was near the top if I had made a list like that, but yes. Number mm-hmm. one draft pick. It's the Victor Wimbanyama of birds of 2023. <laughs> uh, similar, uh-huh. similar physique as well. Uh, Tim, number two. <laughs> so, all right. Flamingo was my top Off pick, but I knew that was going to go Off to whoever got the first draft. So we're going to go with another 
southerly bird that found its way north to us. And there were several very interesting species that found their way to the ABA area over the course of 2023. For this one, I'm going to go with yellow-headed caracara. Yellow-headed caracara. Good one. Nice. Yeah. Which yellow-headed caracara, Tim? I, well, that gets to what I was going to discuss next, because this species seems to be having a little bit of a moment, not on flamingo scale, no. not on NPR news story and 18 states not scale, yet. but yeah. we have seen a couple of yellow-headed caracara reports. There was a bird which was found in Florida by a single observer initially. Early on in 2023, if I remember correctly, it was photographed in January or February. Mm -hmm. Word got out a few weeks later, and that was just kind of like, well, that's weird. Is this a wild bird? Is this an escapee? Yeah. So that was followed up by news a few months later of a bird sighted in Texas. Mm -hmm. Stretching a little bit outside the AB area for a moment, there was also a record this spring from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. So yellow-headed caracara is a neotropical species found Central America and South America, and has been expanding its range north at a apparently pretty decent clip. But I think that these records of birds in multiple locations, kind of like as the vanguard pushing north in this range expansion, is a very interesting kind of case. Um, obviously, record, records committees have to vote on that as they go. My understanding is that the Texas record uh, may ha- not have been accepted. That's what I, that's what but I news just came out that the Florida record was. So now this is going to fall to the, the ABA mm-hmm. checklist committee um, as a potential first for the ABA yeah. area. And the follow-up to that story, which is really what pushed this bird in second place, I originally had it in third, <laughs> was that the Florida yellow-headed caracara resurfaced and was discovered by a birder at the window of their therapist's office <laughs> while yeah, we're talking about this on a previous episode. Which, this. if you, oh yeah. man, if you want a good story for it's a bird, story. I'm not sure it gets much better than that. It's a good story. This bird, apparently, uh, the Florida birders have been working very hard to try to pin down its patterns of behavior mm-hmm. and now have a pretty good understanding. My, my understanding is that people have been seeing it on a pretty regular basis um, over the course of the past few days and weeks. But the bird's still there. Yeah. Seems to have established itself and is, uh, you know, commuting past <laughs> and showing yeah. up on a pretty regular yeah, basis. Along with down the commuting there, students, which is just wild. Yeah, um, that That's species right. <laughs> is is really interesting because these are not the first reports of yellow-headed caracara mm-hmm. in the ABA That's area. Right. There are at least two others: one from California, from I want to say the '90s, and one from North Carolina. Uh, from a, over a decade ago, neither of which were accepted, uh, as is the case typically for these really bonkers mm-hmm. records that turn up way far outside of our understanding of these birds' potential for vagrancy. But with these three, two, three sightings, two possibly two, two for birds, ABA, but another in the same. Yeah, realm. I think yeah. we have to maybe think about these uh, a little bit more deeply. That the. the Circumstances surrounding the North Carolina one in particular were very strange. The bird was flying across a road and it hit a motorcycle and was taken to a rehabber uh, facility in in the mountains of North Carolina. So not a bird on the coastal plain, maybe I'd consider Mm -hmm. for whatever reason might be more legit, but who knows with this bird. The data data is very small. N equals almost nothing. Um, So we we don't really have an idea, but that was a very strange sighting. The circumstances around it caused us to vote no on it. I was on the committee when that bird came through. But, you know, maybe that's something we'll take a look at again Might be down worth the road. Considering. Yeah. Kind of has shades of Southern Lapwing from last uh, Exactly. And another like, thing, you know, we, we've we seen Caracaras expanding in the ABA area. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not all that Absolutely. long that Crested Caracara was sort of the rare bird vagrant du jour uh, all across the continent, up into Canada, Atlantic Canada even. So, you know, Caracaras, they're not super close to related, but they're close enough and they do tend to move around a little bit, maybe more than we give them credit for. Both great choices, um, uh, but I have, I have one that I think is going to be a crowd pleaser as well. Uh, with the third pick of the 2023 ABA Rare Bird Draft, uh, I choose the bird that got 2023 started in terms of potential, I guess. L- little did we know that uh, that 2023 would be so great. Maybe we should have. The Goondlocks Hawk that was photographed in South Florida way back in January 2023. Another potential ABA area first. 
Um, Gundlach's hawk is Cuban endemic, not a bird that is prone to vagrancy that we know of, but um, it's you know very similar to Cooper's hawk, a very uh, difficult ID sometimes. But um, the bird was photographed similar, in a yeah. in a neighborhood on a roof of a house. Uh, it's actually kind of a difficult bird to find in Cuba, so that was very strange. It was recently accepted by the Florida Bird Records Committee, and so like the Yellowheaded Carcar, will go soon to the ABA Checklist Committee for. Um, potential official validation, but Gundlach's hawk, um, really fascinating bird. Uh, unfortunately, it was not refound. It was just one or a couple photos uh, that some non-birder took. That's my that's my pick number three. Hey, so I hate to rain on your parade, but I'm pretty sure that bird was seen on December 31st of 2022. No. Oh, that's what I have written down. I am going to uh, allow it because I don't have another choice, and I've already talked about it. But um, the, the I remember news the news came out on January in January first. That it is was January first. The news yeah, broke out. That is accurate. Yeah. I remember thinking about this because we didn't put it on the 2023 last year's episode because, like, oh, it was, it was, it was last year's bird. But anyway, um, yes. So I'm I'm going to allow it as a technicality, uh, Amy. <laughs> we'll but thank you for that. No flag, <laughs> flag, on, no the flag on the plane. <laughs> He declared uh, early. This one's, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this record because my understanding is, uh, like I said, the ABA checklist committee is still reviewing mm-hmm. it. I know there has been some controversy about, you know, the ID even like, you know, can, can we be sure that this isn't just a funky looking Cooper's mm-hmm. Hawk, you know, but but it's it's an interesting case. I definitely look forward to hearing the final results of the committee's review. Mm-hmm. You know, we we know how much hard work goes into dealing with some of these tricky records and, you know, factor in acceptor ID, the fact that it's just these photos from this one observation, you know, species that is, you know, a secretive endemic in its home range. I th- when I've traveled to Cuba many yeah. years ago, this was the one that we did not see. We heard it. So technically, I guess I can count it. It sounds like a Cooper's hawk. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a hard bird to find. It's not a sure thing by any means. No doubt. De- and it was definitely, like you said, it was a blew the doors off of 2023 <laughs> at the start and yeah. kind of set the tone for weirdness and you know, trying to figure out what things are going to be over the course of the rest of the year. I think very interesting yep. record for sure. All right, Amy, back around to you, the fourth pick. All right, fourth pick. I have a really cute bird, possibly <laughs> cuter than the lookalike but unrelated eastern bluebird, a bird that showed up 15 minutes away from my house in South Jersey, and that is the red-flanked blue tail. Had to let you pick that one. Knew it was coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent bird. That hits a lot of your your key points. Oh, and yeah. Not mm-hmm. only was it an incredible vagrancy, uh, you know, an example of vagrancy, but also, uh, is it still there? Yeah. Still uh, it was reported it was in the last few days, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, crazy eastern ABA area first. Like, when I looked at the <laughs> weather patterns with um, Stephen Feldstein, we figured it probably didn't have, like, a totally direct route and we theorize that it probably made a pit stop in Iceland before proceeding over the North oh, Atlantic wow. okay. from the yeah. western portion of its breeding range where it's actually expanding. And you know, like you said, uh-huh. it hits on a lot of criteria, things that I think are important for um this show when we do it. I really <laughs> liked that it I I feel like it showcased the best of our local birding community and our local community because um I live so close, like I showed up bright and early the next morning after it was reported <laughs> mm-hmm. on Facebook. And I had a lot of trepidation because it is in a very small retirement community. It's on private property in a private community with no street parking. Yeah. So I was like, oh man. But the homeowner, Harry Riker, was so generous to all the birders. Um, the way that the community came together was really amazing. Neighbors were out there serving hot dogs and homemade cookies. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, when people talk about Jersey, we're maybe not known for our warmth and hospitality. Knows <laughs> <laughs> how to host a rare bird, though. But we sure do know how to host a rare bird. <laughs> and I think, like, the local birders got together, um, took up donations, and bought Harry a really nice pair of binoculars. So oh, that's we tried super. to give back around here 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I've, I I love the idea that people who host these rare birds are as much a part of the story as the rare bird itself. Oh, for and, sure. You know, we've tossed around this the idea. I, I know some states do this of um, having a certificate for the person who has hosted the birds and providing idea. them with a little with a little remembrance of this bird they had there and really nice photo framed photo of the bird they had. Taking up a donation and getting him a pair of binoculars. Was he a birder beforehand or was he just a uh, I, you know. I would I would put him in the category of birder because yeah. he was watching yeah. birds and I bird don't yeah. you know I don't I don't spec you know I don't draw a line between bird watcher and birder whatever sure you know no say all the time right if you enjoy looking at birds you're a birder you're a bird. <laughs> then you're doing it yeah. right exactly you're doing it right no matter what that is yeah cool so you think the bird came through Iceland I do and there were three um, that had been reported there in yeah, the fall. Yeah, I, I knew that. And there are yeah. tons of records from the British Isles. In fact, it's been mm-hmm. removed from, I can't remember what the, the equivalent of the British Rare Birds Records right. Committee, but yeah, they it's no, had, it's no longer rare. List. It's kind of a yawn over there, you know. <laughs> so I looked at a couple different ways that that bird could have shown up, and that's one that makes the most sense. When this record first broke, just thinking like, okay, so if it came from the east, if it came, or if it came from the eastern portion of its range, rather, coming west from Siberia, it's over 4,000 miles for, you know, a bird the size of a Christmas ornament, <laughs> this tiny little, and as Amy said, adorable little bird, just like full of yeah, character, yeah. beady eyes, little flicking tail, very friendly looking little creature. And then coming the other way is almost almost identical linear distance from the Western portion of its range. So we talk all the time about how crazy it is that some of these birds like make the journeys that they do and then manage to get detected. Mm -hmm. And looking at the spot where this bird showed up, it's, it's favoring this little woodlot kind of in between houses in a quiet little retirement community in New Jersey Mm -hmm. in, you know, the the pine pine barrens, not even Cape May. Exactly. If this bird had gone to a roadside edge, a quarter mile away, no one would have known. It just, this tiny creature made this monumental voyage and happened to land in the backyard of somebody who noticed it and said, that's unusual. And right. Oh my God, just, it's incredible. And the Rikers, as you said, are some of the best rare bird hosts that I've ever met. They're just wonderful people. So enthusiastic. So community, really huge crowds. Absolutely. Like this was a stakeout that I was concerned at first had the potential to turn ugly because it's such a mega bird and such a quiet neighborhood. But by all accounts, things have been birders have been on their behavior. The residents have been remarkably welcoming. tolerant, more than the, welcoming. And the bird has been reasonably cooperative if you're patient enough to wait for it to show. So it's it's really hmm. like you said, it's some of the best of what birding has to offer. Great bird. I'm glad you both got to see it. I know some North Carolina birders have driven up. It's not all that far, I guess, for a for a bird of this magnitude. <laughs> a bird of that caliber, yeah. Tim. Over to you. Pick five is all yours. Okay. You can also trade it for uh, two picks <laughs> next year if you're. <laughs> I think I'm just going to stick to the script with what we've got right now. Yeah. No need to overcomplicate yeah. it. <laughs> so uh, for my next pick, I do want to spread the love around a little bit because 2023, as we said, had a lot of rarities all over the continent, but there were mm-hmm. definitely some hotbeds of activity. And I think a lot of the love for this list is going to naturally gravitate towards Florida and Texas and some of these other spots that picked a lot of rare birds up. So I would like to highlight um, one of the potential ABA firsts that came out from this year from a different state. And that would be the blue black grass quit that showed up in Arizona. All right. Good one. That was on my short list as well. I'm glad you picked it, or I'm not glad. I don't know. I don't know how how to feel (laughs) about it. We're glad we're talking about it. Yes. Excellent choice. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So, this is another bird found, you know, Mexico, Central America, has kind of been on the short list as a candidate for vagrancy within, you know, the United States and the ABA area, and just happened to show up in the middle of Arizona summer in the monsoon season and kind of away from a lot of the other, you know, kind of classic birding hotspots within Southeastern Arizona. That was the interesting thing about it. It was really, it was another kind of interesting pull of, wow, how'd you stumble into that there? And from what I heard, the stories from the stakeout painted a picture of a very brutal experience in the, you know, midsummer heat 
out there yeah. trying to find this bird. But handsome little bird, um, you know, very iconic species, as I said, of the Neotropics. I think a lot of birders who've traveled within, you know, Mexico, Panama, like various countries within this bird's range, you know, have gotten to know them well. Um, they do so these fun little displays. The first, first ones you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very common and confiding bird in its in its range, but a pretty, pretty stellar find for the ABA area. It is somewhat appropriate that this bird, which I usually associate with vacant lots and weedy fields uh, in the tropics, is a bird that shows up away from you know, as you say, the hotbed mm-hmm. of uh, the you know the Sky Islands right. in southeast Arizona. It was farther north. It was in a place that w- it would not be out of place in in its normal range. It sort of found that place in Arizona that looks more or less like it looks like the places it favors in the tropics. And yeah, fascinating bird. Beautiful. As lucky they got a really nice <laughs> yeah, male nice and not kind male, of the, exactly. uh, yeah, the, not the, not the more uh, difficult female, which a little could easily be <laughs> overlooked. Yeah. Now these vacant birds seem very good at finding the right kind of habitat, you know, at what, whatever mechanisms it may be that bring them far from home. Yeah. They, they do they seem to have it. a nose for sniffing out what looks the most like home. No doubt. That could be said for a lot of these birds that Absolutely. We're, we're talking about. I didn't I didn't think this bird or this group of birds would sit as long as it did. So I'm going to go ahead and take <laughs> it, it as a draft steal. Um, I'm not going to try and uh, move my picks around. I'm going to go straight for the rarity hotspots. And this is going to be a smuggle. I hope that's okay because reason. I don't know any other way to talk about this phenomenon that we saw in South Texas at the end of 2023. I tried to remember the order in which these birds showed up. There has been a small flock of brown jays at Santa Margarita Ranch in the Lower Valley in Starr County for several months now. And that was noteworthy because that is a bird that is very hit and miss in the ABA area. Sometimes they will come across the Rio Grande and they will hang around for several weeks, several months and be relatively easy to find at a feeding station. And sometimes they will just be gone for multiple years and we won't have brown jay in the ABA area for several years. Well, these birds came back to Santa Margarita Ranch and people have been enjoying them for some time. They were joined in November by, I think the first bird that was discovered was the bare-throated tiger heron. I think you're right ABA's about that. third record. <laughs> of bare-throated tiger heron. People who were spending time in Santa Margarita Ranch looking for the bare-throated tiger heron turned up shortly after a mottled owl, (laughs) which was an ABA third record, I believe. I think think one one of the earlier records was a roadkill. So there was one previous bird that people might have twitched. This was the second chaseable record, third record total. I guess interspersed in this were uh, multiple golden crowned warblers, which is, I guess, is a code four species that's almost a gimme down there anymore. <laughs> um, and crimson colored grosbeak seen as well. And that was followed shortly after around the Rio Grande Valley Bird Festival by a gray collared Bacard, the ABA's second record of gray collared Bacard in a Texas first. And um, oh, and the roadside hawks, multiple roadside hawks seen at several spots in the valley. So I realized I smuggled about six species in that area, but it's hard not to talk about these birds all at once. So I might as well just I think go it was an appropriate it. play. I was sitting here wondering South which Texas of these am I gonna was pick? <laughs> lit. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous in the last part of the year. And it hasn't and, stopped uh, because we got a new stopped. one today. <laughs> I know. I feel like we should we gotta, I mean, I don't know, might as well talk about it's, it. There's a crane hawk reported the day that we were recording this um yeah. if you're listening a week, maybe uh, 10 days before, but all these birds are still there. That's the incredible thing. Like Mm -hmm. they have not gone anywhere. People are still traveling down to South Texas and they're doing the circuit and picking up five incredible ABA area birds uh, in South Texas without a ton of trouble. It's been incredible. Uh, What a year. I know multiple roadside hawks still blows my mind. I still think of that as sort of a, uh, an iconic South Texas vagrant species, mm-hmm. but the fact that there are multiple, all at the same maybe time. this is yeah. the sort of thing with the uh, climate changing that we might see more of mm-hmm. as these sort of Mexican species kind of move their ranges North. We're seeing that in a lot of species in the ABA area, in Northern Cardinal, red bellied woodpecker slowly moving their ranges North. Is this the sort of thing that we're going to be able to see? Is our avifauna going to be um, shifting you know, North? Are we going to yeah. shifting? And it's going to see these sorts of species uh, in Texas and Arizona uh, and maybe even Southern California as well. Who knows? But this was an amazing year. What a run. What a run, South Texas. 
Well, in the same way that we talk about, oh, all these flamingos came through or all, you know, last the year before we talked about all the red legged honey creepers. I think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. when and we Lincoln. frame. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we frame this rare bird wrap up in terms of interesting phenomena, I think that the, the South Texas Rio Grande grab bag is definitely very much a package deal. So I think you're For justified. Sure smuggling those all in there together nice of you thank you all right great yeah i could have picked all of my draft picks just from birds that showed up in texas easy easy it would be easy yeah so i i think i'm next yes please amy you are we are up to uh pick number seven Mm -hmm. so speaking of birds whose the uh, northern limit of their usual range extends to northern mexico and who have maybe been expanding their range northward a little bit and who turned up in crazy places, but way crazier than Texas. I'm going to go with the flame-colored tanager in Wisconsin. Great choice. Good shout. Yeah, great great choice. Flame-colored tanager. Uh, in Wisconsin. Not, in Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, the same week, Wisconsin got state first. American Flamingo and Flame Color Tanger, which I don't think anyone had on their Wisconsin rarity, any ABA rarity bingo card. Mind-blowing. <laughs> I mean, this is a bird that ABA area listers are excited to have a chance to see in Arizona and in Texas. Mm-hmm. Like, this this is a, a one of those rare border birds that just barely creeps into the ABA with some regularity. And to get to see Has that, actually bred. Yes, yeah, no, that's true. Western that's, Western 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 Western. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this is this is like one of those iconic Sky Islands birds and things that like, you know, you hope will turn up when you've got a summer trip planned for down in that area. And to have that show up in Wisconsin is incredible. Just I'll tell you my first reaction to this bird was, oh, hepatic tanager? Because hepatic yeah. <laughs> tanager has a pattern of vagrancy uh-huh. in the Great Lakes. And there was yep. one in Maine recently, which there is, still is you know, one in Maine, yeah. very wild, <laughs> but you're not completely out of the range of possibilities of range. for that species. Yeah. But, you know, hepatic tanager has turned up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people correct me, but I know there are a few Great Lakes records. Ontario has a couple records. Um, like, it's shown up in that area, too. And that was my first inclination. Like, right. We've gotten used that to that weirdness. Yeah, that's on the exactly. what happened list. <laughs> then I had to pause for a second. I'm like, Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, hold on. Yeah, yeah, incredible bird, completely out of no one would have expected it. Yeah, truly insane. Yeah, wild stuff. Again, going back to thinking about these overall patterns that lead to these interesting vagrancy records mm-hmm. in the modern age of digital photography and very interconnected birding communities, there have been a lot of these. So, you know, Mexican specialties that are Mm -hmm. short range migrants or even considered to be sedentary that pop up in very strange places that were originally passed off as this has got to be an escape or like, oh, how could that have been just completely discounted? Like if someone had reported a even if someone had reported a flame colored tanager in Wisconsin without a photo would have been discounted out of hand. 20, 30 years ago, probably just. Yeah. Yeah. They probably saw a Western tanager. Yep. Yeah. So it's, I think it's very interesting to see things like, you know, you talk about like mountain gems showing up in Canada, the mm-hmm. black-backed oriole showing up in Pennsylvania, these things that yeah. kind of strain credulity. But again, taken within a broader context, there's a pattern of these outlier, out-of-place birds. And, you know, I think that studying these vagrancy patterns and trying to figure out what we can learn from the mechanisms that drive them is part of the fun beyond the already awesome surface level fun of, Hey, I get to see a really cool bird in a really unusual yep. place. Without a doubt. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing that appeals to me about these vagrants. Mm-hmm. I don't always go chase vagrants. I'm not, uh, I, I don't jump in my car the first time I hear about them, but I, I love <laughs> hearing about them whenever, where, whenever and wherever they are, because I, I think that the, the process of vagrancy is fascinating. And I think mm-hmm. that the, the, the way it impacts our community is, is important as well. And it's so really for one those of those reasons, that sets birding apart from yeah. other natural history pursuits, you know, mm-hmm. like birds and winged insects also. But like, you know, the vagrancy potential is that X factor, I think, yeah. that really makes birding special. Tim, pick eight is to you. Okay. So I actually jumped over this bird. <laughs> I was going through my list, trying to keep track of everything with the um, draft pick. But uh, I know I've gone for a couple of these 
pending ABA area firsts, but this is another bird which, um, in a broader sense, also has a pattern going on, um, because I would like to shout out the gray gull that has been hanging out in Florida and was also (laughs) seen across the border into Alabama. Yep. So gray gull is another very off the wall (laughs) out there pick for the ABA area that again has a history and a record that was passed over in the past. And And I'll, I saw photos from that record. So did I. And it I wonder why it was passed over. Why it was but, passed over. Yeah, but um, maybe maybe our shot at redemption coming up now. And again, there there's, you, go. you know, there you go. so Grey Gull is a Pacific Coast of South America species. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, a really cool natural history involved with this gull. Um, I yeah. believe they breed in the Atacama Desert, which yep. is fantastic. Yep. Um, really cool just overall gray smoky looking gull and it's been hanging out on a beach in florida it made a brief little dip across the border into alabama from the western panhandle and has been you know seen from a ferry again within the broader context taking a a look just outside the boundaries of the aba area there was also a gray gull record from mexico Mm -hmm. in the same time frame it was a record that came in, I think, uh, about a month or a few weeks after the record from Florida first turned up. I think it was only like a handful of records from Mexico. I think it was only like the second or third. So, again, there's stuff going on, maybe related to El Nino or El Nino, just, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Things that... that Things go funky in the Pacific and birds move around in response. That's exactly right. One of the amazing things about this gray goal is sort of how predictable it was in the... I mean, everything's predictable in hindsight, but (laughs) this is a species that reacts very strongly to these very powerful El Nino fluctuations. Mm -hmm. And this is a particularly strong El Nino in 2023, ongoing, I I think. But gray gull is a bird that gets scattered around during these conditions. And it makes sense that one would turn up in West Mexico. And it's not all that far as the gull flies to hop across the the isthmus there and end up on the uh, northern Gulf Coast. Absolutely. Um, and interestingly enough, that first record that was unex- unaccepted was also during an extremely strong El Nino year that I went back and just out of curiosity looked, and that was a- another year that was noted as a particularly strong El Nino. So this is something that, that was we from Louisiana, should. If I, I want to say Louisiana yeah. or the Upper Gulf Coast of Texas. I can't yeah. remember offhand. Okay. Um, but this is a bird that. This phenomenon, as we sort of understand this phenomenon, and El Nino to some extent is sort of a black box in terms of how it affects the the birds on the ocean. But this is a bird that we can perhaps look for during these extremely strong El Nino occurrences. Um, and perhaps it's the sort of thing that might turn up more often in the ABA area in the future because it's sort of on our radar during this phenomenon uh, going forward. I think. Yeah, one to watch for. One it's to watch for. One interesting to, to consider star. these broader, you know, patterns. Absolutely. All right. So we are now up to nine. I was going to go for a top 10. Maybe we'll go to 12. So we all get one. more. Let's pick. do it. Come on. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you two one more pick. Um, so we're, we've got some really kind of weirdos uh, at this point, and I, I'm trying to decide which one I want to choose. But um, I think I'm going to go with the one that taxonomically asks the biggest questions. It was not all that long ago that Kasha Crossbill was split from the Red Crossbill group, which is always, which is a bit of a black box when it comes to taxonomy with all these different call types. Uh, Cash Crossbill was thought to be this mostly sedentary crossbill type that evolved in the South Hills of Idaho um, without squirrels. And so they were their, their beak physiology is such that they do not have to compete with squirrels to get the nuts out of these pine cones. The question of whether this split is a good split is one that people have been talking about for a long time, that the science looks pretty good. Uh, but a lot of that is dependent on whether or not these birds are actually kind of nomadic like the other red crossbills are. And it turns out um, that they might be. There was a recent <laughs> record a few years ago in Colorado. Well, okay, northern Colorado, not all that far. Well, I guess pretty far from Idaho, but not all that far from Idaho. But the recent record this year uh, from October from northern California a first California record of Kesha Crossbill does sort of cause us to really start asking questions about whether this bird should be uh, a good split or not. Is this record and could potential records of this sort uh, be the nail in the coffin for Kesha Crossbill as a good species? Who knows? Uh, but this <laughs> record uh, that was recorded in in Northern California, San Mateo County, bye. 
our friend Alvaro Jaramillo, I think is is fascinating when we start thinking about what that means for a Kesha crossbow and red crossbow. It could be the the vagrant that uh, ends the species, or at least how why we think about <laughs> as a species. But it's uh, it's cool. It's an amazing record, and the story of how how Al got it was uh, amazing too. His mind was as blown by the possibility of Kesha crossbow in Northern California as anyone's would be. Fascinating story. Yeah, I've heard that there have been other records in Colorado too, and I know yeah. that um, Nathan. Pipolo, and I apologize mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing his I name wrong. I think that's wrong, correct. Yep. Um, went back and through old recordings and found oh, wow. uh, records of Kesha Crossbow. Is that right? Colorado going back to 2012, I believe. Oh, like, my. Yeah. So the status is maybe uncertain. I think sure. it serves to highlight that speciation species limits are always an interesting, you know, puzzle to dig into. And I think that Crossbills wonderful birds that they are with all their call types and ecotypes and various different populations so cool. scattered across yeah. the world. Yeah. Not even just the ABA area, the world, like there are red yeah. crossbills in very strange places, you know, the population in the Philippines, like there's, there's populations that are extremely nomadic. There's populations that are much less. So the differences in the bills and the vocalizations that they make, it's, you know, we might never have a fully satisfactory taxonomy <laughs> for this complex, but um, I think the cash across bills are a really interesting facet of that evolutionary story. And whatever the final, in the largest air quotes possible around the word final decision ends up being regarding the taxonomic status of that population, I still think that it's an interesting case study it's an interesting group of birds worth studying and yeah the, again we were just talking a little while ago about records of so-called sedentary birds outside mm-hmm. the range where they're sedentary i think that yeah. there's still a lot to be learned about birds and vagrancy and the weird things that go on when we're not looking <laughs> for sure all right we'll go to pick 10 amy i'll give each of you one more pick although i do have an honorable mention that i want to mention We'll we'll do a quick shout out for honorable mentions. (laughs) Lightning round for honorable mentions. mentions. One more pick, Amy, number 10. Okay, so I'm trying to think of a way to connect this one to the last species mentioned, and I'll go with Pacific Northwest. Mm. Okay. Um, Phenomena, for sure. Okay. Um, I have on my draft pick list Ancient Murelet. Very good. Oh, yeah, good one. Yeah, as far as a cool phenomena, there were ancient murelets on every Great Lake um, <laughs> and as far out as Tennessee. Tennessee, yeah. East Tennessee, no less. Yeah, I've got my, I got my list. Set. We had records from Ontario, Michigan, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Minnesota, Minnesota. and Ohio. I think th- I th- there might have been others that I missed, but I think that those yeah. were states and provinces reporting. Did you say Wisconsin? Yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah I think more than one. And like this bird has a history of wandering. It's not totally unexpected. There's records in like 37 states and provinces, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. total, maybe more. And it's even appeared as far east as Finland and Spain, which is pretty cool, (laughs) I think. Tennessee is nothing when you consider Spain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A couple factors that might explain why so many of them turned up inland and Oh, don't even forget about some of the Mountain, Re- Mountain West records, because there mm-hmm. were a few in um, Idaho and Oregon, I believe. That's right, yeah. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Those birds turned up after a huge bomb cyclone. Mm-hmm. And then yep. El Nino pushed a lot of really warm water further north into, its, into ancient murelet's usual range. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be tough on pelagic birds because of... Uh, the warmer the water, the less um, oxygen dissolved in it, and the fewer prey items. So um, that combined with the fact that we had another ice-free northwest passage this fall mm-hmm. means that those birds could have started wandering to find food. They could have gone from the Pacific Ocean um, all the way through to the uh, the Hudson Bay, and then you know they wouldn't have to cross too much. They wouldn't have to fly over yeah, too much land right. to make relatively it to the Great Lakes less at of a land point. crossing yeah, after that. That's true. Yep. I was really hoping that one in Ohio would stick around so I could go after it, but <laughs> it just didn't work out. I think there's another classic example of like again, we were talking about the scope and the scale of this is really what made it remarkable. It's yeah. you know, bird with a history of vagrancy, but for so many to be showing up all at the same time, so widely scattered around, it was a re- it was a really cool 
story to see. And again, kind of looking at the broader patterns, um, we haven't yet had a record for New York associated with this incursion. There are previous records, but we did have a short-tailed shearwater in New York, which is yeah. another bird. So glad you mentioned same, that one. Yeah, that's another bird from the same kind of corner of the ocean that may well have wound up on the Great Lakes in a very similar manner, you know, mm-hmm. again, exploring kind of these ice-free areas up yeah. in the Arctic and then getting blown by strong winds or, you know, making an overland crossing and finding the closest thing to the ocean it could, which are very large lakes that yeah. race our continent. I think like those those together, again, hinted an interesting story and suggest that something was going on with these North Pacific seabirds that Without led to them scattering pretty far afield. Should we do uh, honorable mentions or Tim, do you want to take, I'll give you pick 11, pick, pick 10 B um, of our top oh, 10 of our increasingly misnamed uh, <laughs> top 10 list. <laughs> okay. For this one, I would like to shout out an individual vagrant that okay. again, tells us something in the modern age of data collection and interconnection about the full scope of some of these journeys that birds undertake. And I would like to highlight the story of the vagrant ferruginous hawk that took a tour of the East. This was a bird that was originally found in Ontario and was taken into a rehabber. And they ended up outfitting this bird with, I believe it was modus tag to Mm -hmm. track its progress. And it ended up becoming a really kind of fascinating story to follow because they you know, in an effort to try and keep the bird from being, you know, harassed or followed minute by minute, they were releasing the data on where it was on a delay. So mm-hmm. it kind of became an interesting game of, well, which direction is this bird heading? Try where might it be? Yeah. Oh, if it's approaching our state, where might this bird show where's up? Where's the most ferruginous hockey landscape exactly. in and I think the, the county? Bird, ah, it's just the most birder <laughs> thing ever, right? To just it's be out no like, no well, doubt. I know it's got to be someplace. <laughs> and this individual ferruginous hawk ended up, like I said, taking a little tour. And it just goes to show how much a single out-of-place bird can really cover some distance because this bird was seen, as I said, in Ontario. Then it made its way to Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, and eventually Pennsylvania. Um, furnished, you know, I think first state records in a few places and, you know, first modern records in a few others. And it was just, it was really cool to see these updates from people who are like, well, we saw that the, the tracker data was getting close to the border and we figured, you know, we just go out and find <laughs> a big it. open field and see, and, and it panned out for a number of people. Um, and I think that just, it speaks to both the science element of mm-hmm. what can be learned from the story of a single individual, as well as the community aspect of, you know. <laughs> taking a wild swing on you know fortune and glory trying to find this wayward rare bird and after actually having it pan out um, yeah. my understanding is that unfortunately this bird did pass um several months after providing invaluable data in my opinion um mm-hmm. i think that it's important to keep in mind when we're talking about phenomena and you know in you know these vagrants that show up in weird places like each one of these events involves the story of an individual bird or individual birds that are, Mm -hmm. you know, driven beyond their normal range by, you know, as I, I, I've talked about this a lot, but different, different mechanisms, (laughs) different drivers, different cases. There's as many reasons for vagrancy as there are species, but it's just so fascinating to me to see the scope and scale of these adventures that these birds end up undertaking. No doubt. All right, I will forego my pick 12 for a couple quick hits. Um, these sure. might be some birds that were on your list as well, but I want to give them honorable mentions uh, because they this, this year truly was uh, extraordinary and that there were almost too many birds to, to include on a list such as this. Large build turns, not one, yeah. but two oh, yeah. in Florida. Incredible. <laughs> when that, when that's a for a footnote, very long time. That speaks to the quality of the year. <laughs> yeah, ABA second record and third record. And third, uh, Probably, <laughs> probably uh, having to do with drought and the Amazon came all the way to Florida, stuck around for a very long time. Very ex- excellent birds. Uh, lesser sand plovers in mm-hmm. Massachusetts, Rhode oh, Island, and Siberian Quebec. Oh, Siberian. Right. Sand plovers. Right, good catch. Yeah, yeah. Good catch. Yeah, for split. anyone that is wondering, they were recently split. Uh, lesser sand plover was split into Siberian and Tibetan. 
Yep. So these are the Siberian ones. Um, yep. So, but in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Quebec, and like bam, 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 close, close order. So possibly multiple birds. Um, red-footed boobies, uh, mm. both in North Carolina, well inland, and then uh, much later, even farther inland, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, which is absolutely bonkers record for yeah. a pelagic seabird, warm water pelagic seabird. Little bunting in yep. Florida and Pensacola. Yeah. Palaces bunting in British Columbia. And there was, a, don't forget the other little bunting in Washington. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the Florida one good is year. crazier. That's good year for Emberizes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the, the only, area. yeah, it's just another, I had to, Florida, had a, red Florida had a ridiculous year. One, Florida's but, year was wow. insane. What, how many state firsts did they get this year? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine. Sorry, That's I undercounted. Mental. So, Gundlach awesome. uh, Hawk, <laughs> Yellow Headed Karakara, Great Tail Greco, Little Bunting, Large Field Turn, Grey Gull, Black Guillemot, Couches Kingbird, and Brewer's Sparrow at the end of the year. So, Ooh, what, a, what a list. Yeah. So, three I'll, weeks. I'll throw out a few of my, again, yeah, quick lightning it. round. Um, we should take a moment to acknowledge the absolutely awesome cattle tyrant that is currently showing in the Corpus <laughs> Christi area. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. maybe didn't make our lists just because, you know, Providence there might be some foregone conclusions. You know, I mean, uh, sh- ship assistance is it's hypothetically legal. permitted, but in practice, yeah. I feel like it often gets shot down. So yeah. we'll see. I would love yeah, to see okay. that bird added to the AVA area list, yep. but we'll see how Texas decides to take it. I would also like to uh, talk about the wedge rump storm petrels that were associated oh with yes. the hurricanes. Oh my God, yes. Another West hurricane. Bloom bird. Got unseated as storm bird of the year by the flamingos in pretty short order, but still yeah, worth pointing right. out that storm petrels in Arizona and Nevada are always an interesting story. Yep. Um, I want to shout out the Siberian ruby throat that was seen on the trail camera in California, which provided right. them with technically the a 2022 bird. Yeah, Tec- you're right. No, nope, November you're right. of That's 2022. Right. That's yeah. right. Thank you for fact checking me there. I would also like to just point out the uh, Eurasian jackdaw that showed up in Newfoundland because that's a bird oh, that we yeah. don't get too often <laughs> on this side of the ocean anymore. Oh, there are too many. There were too, there too many, many this year. Tim. Truly. 2023 was a wild year for birds in the ABA area. Uh, 2024 has a tough act to follow. It, it does. Oof. It's already for off to sure. a pretty strong start, though. Oh, magnificent frigate bird in Hawaii. That's right. First, Harlequin first duck record. in Hawaii. Also, Harlequin. first for the main islands. Yeah. yeah, that one definitely seems a little bit more out of place, but White yeah. Wagtail for Hawaii. Oh, and yeah. Alabama and where else? There were a few. There were a couple. Yeah. yeah. Keeping an eye out here in New yeah. York. I feel like I would be remiss if we didn't show that that hot Limkin summer is still going strong. <sighs> and we yeah. new hot records Limkin for future. Colorado, new records for Ontario, new records for Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Jersey. Finally on the board. Yeah. I think West Virginia, I want to say. Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Lincoln showed up in every state and province that they've ever been recorded in, in 2023 alone. Every state and province that has ever had a le- record of Lincoln also had at least one record in 2023, which speaks to how sustained this push is. It's yeah. wild. You're next, South Dakota. <laughs> Truly. California. <laughs> Truly. 2024. Make it happen. New Mexico. <laughs> Well, uh, what a great roundup. What fun to talk about rare birds with both of you. We will have some people that will no doubt have some issues with some of the birds that we counted. You're welcome to leave them in the comments or on social media. Let us know. Send us something at podcast at aviate.org. Uh, we love talking rare birds no matter where they are. We could get to all of them today. <laughs> we, really, we could not get to all We forgot so many incredible records, honestly. There are so many. Um, thank you so much, Tim. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, links to where you can find uh, both of them. In the show notes, please check them out. We'll see you. We'll see you around probably this year, maybe next year, certainly for this or for other things. It was great to talk to you. (laughs) Sounds good, Nate. It's always good to be here. Thanks, you too. This was fun. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. Don't forget to join the ABA. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll be eligible for a lot of great benefits, including our magazines, all our online stuff like the magazine archive and the new identification portal, discounts to partners like OM Systems, Beautio Books, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and more. Special shout out this week to... Nicholas Ampersy of Three Rivers, California, Scott Duncan of Birmingham, Alabama, Angela Eady of Hamilton, Ontario, and Ann Tyndall of Nagadoches, Texas, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much and welcome to the ABA. 
Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of this podcast is Wayne Klockner, who figures that if Victor Wenbanyama is a flamingo, then Scoot Henderson is an appropriate name for a landbound common loon. Technical production is by John Lowry, who thinks it's a shame that at no point during Hall of Famer Chuck Cooper's stint with the Atlanta Hawks were they ever referred to as his team. Additional help comes from Maggie Fitzgibbon and Greg Neese, who disagree if Meadowlark Lemon is better known as the clown prince of basketball or a Sternella description from a particularly flowery-languaged field guide. You can find us online at ABA.org, on social media, most everywhere is American Birding Association. On Blue Sky, we are at ABA Birds. Questions, comments can come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Bird Like Tom. See you next week. <laughs>